Welcome back to the Exist Magazine podcast. On this episode, I sat down with Ethan Meyer, who is a curator and art handler for the Dwayne Reed Gallery in St. Louis, Missouri. If you aren't following your favorite galleries and museums on Instagram and Facebook, start hitting that follow button. Every gallery and museum needs our support and interaction during this COVID lockdown of 2020. And every gallery and museum is doing something unique to the circumstances. Once they start showing up in that suggested feed, just start down that rabbit hole, start liking there and following the museums that you like and uh, start getting involved in helping the art culture. Enjoy this episode with Ethan Meyer, who you can follow on Instagram at void underscore walker 666. Be sure to subscribe to the Exist Magazine podcast on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. And remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts to help spread the word. Feel free to comment on SoundCloud as well. Enjoy. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is the Exist Magazine podcast. I'm here with Ethan Meyer. Say hello, Ethan. Hello. And uh, Ethan is uh, an unfamiliar guest for me. Um, he was I was tipped off again by another artist about uh, Ethan, so uh, was suggested to contact him and uh, told that he might be uh, interesting to talk to. So, uh, Ethan, the only things I've really uh, been able to find out about you are you're an art collector, an art dealer, an art handler, and an artist. Uh, are there any other occupations with art in them that you don't do? <laughs> uh, not really. I kind of keep uh, myself a jack of all trades, really. Um, you know, I went to art school first and foremost. Uh, so my identity is as an artist. And then uh, after graduating in t- 2013, I found myself working at an art gallery. And then, you know, from there. What gallery? What's that? What's that? What was the first art gallery you, you worked at? Uh, I worked at an art gallery that used to be on uh, Washington Avenue here in St. Louis called Alexi Era Gallery. It's not been there for a number of years, but I interned there from 2013 to 2014. Um, and then I started at Dwayne Reed Gallery in the Central West End uh, August of 2015. And I've, I've been there since. Oh, wow. So... Uh... How was uh, how was the, uh, the the first gallery, and then uh, what made you decide to uh, to go over to Dwayne Reed? Well, you know uh, the the first gallery I worked for, I stumbled across uh, I think their Facebook page, and uh, there I was looking at their artist roster, and several painters that I was familiar with uh, jumped out at me, and I decided to send them an email and uh, that that was uh, just kind of a nice introduction to the art gallery scene as an intern. And so getting familiar with uh, working art openings, uh, exhibition openings, um, dealing with clientele and whatnot. And then uh, I was, I had a separate full-time job during that time. And um, when I left there, in 2015, I, f- I found my way to Dwayne Reed Gallery kind of by chance, but it was it was one of those things where uh, it was just meant to be, and uh, through uh, being exposed to a wider array of artists and different programs, and you know, I got the itch to start collecting. I've always enjoyed 
collecting artwork, but I never really got serious about it until probably about 2016. Um, what kind of artwork do you collect? Do you uh, uh, have a specific medium that you keep an eye out for? Or do you just kind of, you know, go by, by a gut feeling? Or is it a, a, st a style or popularity? Uh, my main focus is ceramics and glass. Um, so the thing about those two mediums that are really nice is that uh, artists tend to work in a wide range of sizes and ranging from, you know, sculpture to utilitarian objects. And um, those are the people that typically uh, are fairly prolific and work in a variety of styles. And so for me, I kind of find not only the utilitarian aspect to be a bit more interesting, but also the uh, the price point being pretty accessible. And the gallery I work for, we have a pretty ceramics heavy program. And so, you know, I'm, I'm never at a loss of, you know, who to look at. And, you know, I've always got something uh, that I'm searching for in terms of my next purchase. And it, it really becomes quite an, an addiction. Yeah, I think I've been to Dwayne Reed a couple times, but um, couldn't tell you the, uh, the artist that was uh, showing there. But um, do you typically uh, get local artists or do you uh, bring in national uh, uh, artists from around the country or around the world? Uh, a mix of really local, national and international. Um, and there's also um, art fair participation, which kind of gives um, me an opportunity to see what's going on in the contemporary art scene at large. Um, being able to go to events like Art Basel in Miami are pretty eye-opening from not only a collecting standpoint, um, you know, as a dealer, but also as an artist. And I think that that is where um, my experience in the art world has been most fulfilling is being aware of just what is being showcased as kind of the cutting edge of the scene right now and having that understanding and that awareness to kind of sift through in my own art practice. And just uh, it, it gives a lot of information and allows you as an artist to kind of place yourself in, uh, you know, the zeitgeist of the of the contemporary art scene. Mm hmm. So in uh, in your uh, situation, how do you um, how do you uh, how are you handling this this whole COVID? Uh, how is how is the art scene responding to the to the pandemic and the shutdowns? Uh, you know, it's I have a limited perspective on that. Um, I think that there's a lot of movement for the whole um, art dealing community towards uh, digital. And so there is, uh, there, we're in kind of an interesting in-between period of time um, because a lot of art fairs uh, this year have been canceled. A lot of them were postponed, uh, but you know, there's a lot of speculation on whether or not they're actually going to happen. And mm -hmm. since so much of the, of uh, art dealing is, face-to-face -face at these events, at these large fairs. Um, it's kind of putting the entire industry on its head for a moment. Mm -hmm. But there is that um, 
that arena, the digital arena being the new frontier, it's not so much new anymore, but it, it hasn't quite taken hold as the uh, the standard yet. Uh, art fairs are, are still kind of the standard way to get artwork out in front of people. And I would say that probably the main resistance to the digital arena in terms of art dealing is uh, it's really hard to uh, keep something that's, uh, you know, a, a physical item as, uh, you know, just looking at images on a screen, you need that that in-person experience, that encounter with the work itself to really not only appreciate it, but understand what it is. And so I think the main challenge has been, you know, how to make that same uh, level of interaction possible mm -hmm. But, yeah. uh, you know, digitally. Yeah, I've seen a, a local artist here, Nick Schleicher. Uh, he just posted this really rad, like 3D walk around of a gallery that he's got up right now. I don't know where it's I can't remember where it's at, but it was it was really cool because as you looked around, you know, in the, this kind of augmented reality, uh, like it had. Um, each painting had like little pop-ups next to it. So if you hit it, it would pop up a description and the price of the painting, I think. Yeah, I, I think that that is the future of, um, of the art world in terms of selling and, and art dealing. Um, because so many people are, they want, if they're collectors and they're looking at it from the perspective of, not only going and having the experience, but looking for something to bring into their home. There's always the process of, you know, envisioning it in their space. Right. And do, I think do I got to make, do guys got to start making my walls out of digital screens now? Is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think, I think VR, VR virtual reality, I think is the, the future. Mm hmm. So are you guys, um, are you actively like looking into that right now to uh, kind of uh, experiment with uh, with how you might be able to to incorporate that into to Dwayne Reed Gallery? Yeah, I mean, we're always thinking about it. We're always looking to, um, you know, get on get on the, the train that's moving forward. Uh, it's not quite there yet. I think that the industry as a whole is kind of resisting that change, but there's a number of, um, of companies that are trying to make that transition possible. Uh, so for right now, I think the, the most advanced thing in that direction is uh, online websites, platforms like Artsy and First Dibs, primarily Artsy, I would say, uh, because it, the, the website is really focused on educating as well as uh, allowing dealers to kind of promote their talent. Mm -hmm. And how does, how does that, because I know I, I feel like I, I follow artsy for, for, uh, for media content, but I'm not familiar with how the, uh, the site works as far as uh, curating or uh, finding. Yeah. It, it's uh, primarily through an inquiry system. And so that's been, kind of supplementary to the overall program is being present uh, on those websites and 
And uh, the, the main obstacle there is how do you get someone to feel like they understand what the object is that they're looking at as well as if they were viewing it in person? Yeah. Like, how do you get like a relation to the scale of things? Like, you know, if, if how something's going to fit in your, in your space, like that's, that's the, that's the hardest part for me is understanding the scale. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, um, you can only upload so many images of one piece, but, you know, you try and do what you can, but I really think that if you could have, um, like a 3d, uh, file that allows you to see the piece kind of floating in space at all angles through a virtual headset um, and you know scale is already taken into consideration and you can literally walk around your house and kind of drag and drop it into different places i i think that that would be really fascinating do you have a pair of of virtual reality goggles that you walk around with right now? Are you are you wearing them right now? As we're <laughs> yes, right now I can You're see you. Folly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I wish that uh, that technology is really fascinating to me because I kind of liken it to what DVD players were in the early two thousands. Um, you know, as time progresses, the technology is just going to naturally proliferate and become less expensive. So mm-hmm. once you kind of see a saturation occur where most households have a VR headset. I think that is going to be when the possibilities really open up for what it can do um, in, you know, in specific reference to things like art dealing and, uh, and, and viewing work. Cause I think that's one of the things that's on most people's minds right now uh, under quarantine is, you know, how are we able to do things like experience art? And, you know, there's Instagram and there's resources like Artsy uh, for research purposes, but it doesn't really scratch that itch, like going and seeing a piece in person and especially works that are, you know, site specific. And yeah, it's hard to it's hard to, to replicate that experience right now. I would definitely be one of the ones that's against it. You know, I don't, I don't think like it, uh, cause I get that feeling from music, you know, it's like all these artists now are doing, uh, online live, uh, performances, which is great, but it's nothing compared to going to a live show and being in front of the stage and listening to the real music, you know, hit you. It's just not the same because I mean, and like, it all depends on, you know, the equipment that you have too. like, if, if you are you know, paying for these, you know, live performances and all you have are, you know, your computer speakers or whatever, it's just not going to be the same. <laughs> right. I mean, because I think that art, and I would definitely include music in um, in this description, is it's kind of a, a spiritual experience in a way. And you kind of lose the potency of that aspect of what it is whenever you kind of remove it from the, um, the sensory input of, you know, our ears and our eyes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think technology has actually a ways to catch up with the human imagination definitely but it's still yeah it's nothing like the real thing though yeah (laughs) i think uh i'm i'm like i'm for it but also like it's like 
I'm for it to be a thing, but ready for it to go away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely have two different perspectives. I've got the perspective of someone who deals in art, and I have the perspective of someone who makes it. And if I'm looking at it purely from the perspective of someone who makes art, I, I see spaces like virtual reality spaces, uh, VR spaces as being potentially the the next frontier of art making. I mean, we see this already with programs like, I think it's called Tilt Brush, uh, where you're able to paint three-dimensionally in a virtual space. Whoa. Um, That's cool. And I think that there's actually something nice about having a purely digital mode of making art because it, it transcends and in some ways, I guess, liberates art from the confines of physicality and oh. kind of allows for uh, it thought. to become genuine expression and not necessarily making an object for sale. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, you just kind of cut out there a little bit, but that's okay. Keep going. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just saying that um, having the natural transition into more digital applications of art making are going to be interesting from the perspective of, you know, well, I guess first and foremost, what's your motivation for making something? Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, if you remove, if you remove art from the context of something that is bought and sold, I think you change what it is inherently. Mhm. Yeah, it all depends. So what uh what are some uh some things that uh for you as a as a curator and a dealer um what's like some of the hard things that you have to deal with uh dealing with artists? <laughs> well, you know, the main thing would be uh adhering to timelines. That's probably the main <laughs> struggle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean I definitely, uh I definitely can relate there. Uh you know, working at the museum. Uh although I'm not in in too much of the the drama with it, but I definitely uh can can see when schedules uh get pushed and things get pushed back. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's I think it's important to kind of understand why those things occur on the side of the artist is, you know, it's someone trying to express themselves in a genuine way and with integrity. And, you know, sometimes the creative process defies, you know, rigid boundaries and deadlines. And, and so I would say that's one of the main struggles. Um, so I think that with the relationship, the dynamic between art dealers, gallerists and artists and also curators too, is more of an understanding trying to bridge the gap from where one side is coming from as opposed to the other. And I think that that really helps me both as an artist and um, someone who engages in work in a, in a, pro, in a professional aspect too, is kind of having that dual perspective and allowing myself to take one hat off and put the other one on and be able to transition from one side to the other uh, and so, you know, if you can understand what the artist is concerned about and if you can understand what 
the, the, the gallerist is concerned about, I think that makes everyone's lives a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And having a timeline that it can, can accommodate both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, also there's the aspect of when an artist involves themselves with a gallery, um, you know, it, it, your art making becomes something different because it's not just for you anymore. You're, you're doing it for the audience that the galleries cultivated over the years they've been open. You're doing it for the hope of monetary compensation. And so I think that there's a real, not danger, I think danger is maybe the wrong word to use, but there's definitely an added level of this has become more than just what it is for you as an individual. Mm-hmm. So uh, remind me again, where is a uh, Dwayne Reed gallery? Uh, it's in the central West end. It's on McPherson Avenue, 4729 gotcha. McPherson. So what's the, um, how big is this gallery? Do you just uh, usually show one artist at a time or is there multiple artists? Uh, we run two shows simultaneously. And so there's the main gallery in the front of the building when you first walk in. And then there's a, a secondary gallery that's immediately past the front entrance. And then we have uh, a pretty healthy amount of space to act as our showroom for works that aren't on ex exhibition at that specific point in time. So we we have a lot of um, flexibility in how we display work and how we rotate shows in and out. Nice. And are you uh, St. Louis, um, you know, homegrown or do you uh, reign from out of town? Uh, well, I'm a Missourian, born and raised. Uh, I'm not too far. I wasn't too far from the St. Louis area. I uh, was born and raised in Franklin County, which is about 40 minutes west South. of here. Yeah. And so I've been living in the city uh, since 2016. Nice. Yeah, I, I lived out in St. Charles County and moved to the city in 2015. Yeah, I I mean there's something to be said for I think being in a in a more rural environment. Um you know, as, as someone creatively um speaking as an artist, I I put a pretty high emphasis on contact with nature and being able to go out to parks and have uh you know experiences with more trees and less concrete. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, we were we were outside today. It is a phenomenal day today, and yeah, like I told you earlier, I was outside doing some yard work, yeah. getting, getting getting a nice uh, burn on my face. Um, but yeah, we were just my friend uh, has built us a couple tables, um, and he brought one over today to drop it off, and we just got to talking and you know s social distancing. We were six feet apart, but. We were out in the backyard hanging out and just like just soaking it in like it was just so nice and to to, to get even in the city to just still be able to find that that sense of of nature and and in it to to be able to enjoy it even when you can't necessarily just go out and roam around in the woods by a creek like I used to. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So um 
what else uh because I, I mean i don't know you very well at all like uh travis uh suggested uh, that i hit you up and i was like very interested I, I was checking your instagram out and and saw um your your artwork which to me can only be described as like a uh <laughs> what were those um 3d magic uh <laughs> oh yeah the ones where you shove you your face real them. close up to yeah. it and then <laughs> like as I, you pull it away you see the image yeah it's like mike yeah, the detail in your paintings is wild it's like a, it's trip it's like a trip it's like you know if if you've ever done a psychedelic drug and had these you know movements and and you know in the in your vision like just kind of squirm around like that's what your work was doing to me <laughs> yeah so and you i guess from- you, you say you graduated from webster right yeah, so I graduated with uh, a BA in 2013, and um, I kind of I think back to my time at Webster pretty frequently because I I did the kind of general studio art overview of a BA as opposed to a BFA and choosing an area of emphasis mm-hmm. because I didn't really know at the time because I transferred in I um, I originally transferred to Webster uh, with the intentions of obtaining a a certificate along with my BA, uh, the certificate in art therapy, because I wanted to pursue that uh, to become an art therapist. And um, I kind (laughs) of, I realized upon doing more research that that wasn't a career path that was very fruitful. but I finished out my BA and I'm, if I could do it all over again, I think I would still do the BA as opposed to a BFA because I just was able to enrich my perspective as a creative person with doing ceramics and printmaking and mm-hmm. figure drawing and painting and paper making and graphic design. And so as a creative person currently, um, I still don't adhere to one mode of creativity. So my paintings are, I would say, my main form of expression, but I also do fiber work. So I, I do a lot of weaving, uh, a lot of needlework. Um, I'm currently developing a new body of work kind of focused on that. I also do some sculpture. Um, I'm starting some woodworking projects right now. Uh, nice digital art as well and so are you familiar with uh elias Sime? no i'm not he's uh one of our uh next uh currents artists coming to the st louis art museum and he does these massive murals made out of like well i mean he does he does a bunch of 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 different works but the ones that are coming to mind right now are these massive murals of digital uh components all uh stitched together that kind of remind me of, of your paintings, but it's all wires. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. All computer wires and copper, you know, components and stuff all. And then he's, he's using these techniques that um, he learned in Africa. He's from, uh, uh, oh shoot, Ethiopia. Um, mm. And, you know, he's using um, all these different techniques of, of uh, 
you know, the people there that, that sew, um, hand sew, you know, all their garments and stuff together. So he's using these kind of different sewing techniques to, to stitch computer components together in these huge murals, huge scale, like they're, they're giant, like 70 by 120 inches or something like that. But that, that definitely, uh, uh, can relate to, uh, to that kind of fibers, you know, things weaving together, all these colors kind of morphing and moving. Right. Yeah, that's, I would say, the um, the common element across all the different bodies of work that I involve myself with is creating these compositions that communicate this interconnectedness of all things and, and kind of uh, likening that to psychically within our consciousness um, how we just kind of fluidly transition from one feeling to the next and this this seamless way that we rarely are able to to really look at because we're always caught up in the flow of our own cognitive experience and trying to just make that visually manifest and um so there's a lot of morphing geometry, a lot of flowing organic forms. And are you into yeah, that sacred, sacred geometry? Uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> my, mine's a little bit too sloppy to be called sacred geometry. Um, I definitely go with kind of a, a looser approach, but it is kind of um, hinting at that. Um, but if I look at, drawings I did as a kid I I you know from age six seven years old um, I was really into drawing uh, cubes and different shapes morphing in and out of each other mm -hmm. and so it's interesting that even though um, what my work looks like now is informed by you know my my whole life of experience and interests and art that I've been exposed to that at the end of the day, the core aesthetic concerns are ones that have been present with me since childhood. So I, you know, I'm always kind of taken aback by, by just the fact that I wasn't thinking about it the way that I was thinking about it as a kid. You know, I wasn't thinking about it at all. I was just, I got a nice big stack of paper and a few pencils and I just kind of spent the afternoon doodling. And even though you know, you could argue that having gone to art school makes the work more sophisticated and whatnot. At the end but of the day, I'm really still just kind of doodling. Yeah. yeah, it's that that always yearning for that feeling of of just creating naturally, like not having this sort of preconceived, like I have to create this because of this, but it's just doing, you know, it just right. becomes habitual. Being able to create, you know, as as more of a a, a bodily function <laughs> you know it's just right like an everyday thing yeah it's that uh the flow state mm -hmm. yeah and so it's whenever whenever you're able to get out of your own way so to speak and create as if it's just a natural part of your body it's kind of an extension of you know, your lungs and your heart and your nervous system, um, it becomes kind of the second, like second nature of just doing and just um, creating and not overthinking it and trying your best to not 
judge it harshly for what it is and to just kind of work with it and um, kind of help it mature and become what it's meant to be. Uh, and so that's where I really approach my own artistic practices. It's a form, not to sound cheesy, but it's a, it's a form of meditation for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I love about the process of creating so much too, is that like, is, is the meditation part for me. It's just like the, once you get into the mode and it's just kind of, you know, going and you forget, you know, it's that, that breathing technique, like in yoga, you know, it's just like, it just comes naturally and flows in and flows out. Right. It's, uh, it comes naturally if it's been practiced at, um, and, and so that's the thing is how do we get practiced enough to where it just pours out of you at any given moment? Um, I, I come across artists every once in a while who struggle to maintain, uh, inspiration and I, consider myself to be very fortunate that that isn't really anything that I ever concern myself with, because if anything, I, I'm always at risk of having started too many projects. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes for me, it's like, uh, that, that'll get me going. Like, um, if I, if I can't, you know, find the inspiration or if I, you know, feel like I've got a writer's block, so to speak, like, it's just like, if I have like the one thing and I'm like, okay, maybe if I start that, that'll lead to something else and it'll get me thinking, you know, that's, that's usually, and I don't know if that's just ADD. Or... <laughs> well, I would say I have the same problem then. <laughs> yeah. Cause like I'll, I'll start a painting, you know, I'll start doing that. And then like my mind will start to wander and be like, oh yeah, I got to do this thing over here. And I'll jump over to my computer and start busting this out and I'll be working on a video or something and be like, oh, oh you best. know what? yeah, I got to go photograph this and I got to set up everything downstairs in the photo studio. And I go down there and start shooting stuff. <laughs> yeah. But, it just, you know, before it, I know it, it's you know, midnight and I've got to do, I got to eat. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you know, it's when you lose track of time mm-hmm. and you're, you're kind of neglecting some aspect of bodily need, whether it be food or sleep, because, the act of creation has become so central and so important and deriving so much joy and satisfaction from it that you really don't mind if, uh, you know, you went until 2 a.m., even though you got to get up at eight next morning. And, you know, when something becomes so incredibly wonderful and fulfilling that you're willing to sacrifice sleep over it, (laughs) I think that that kind of shows that, you know, where your priorities are. And sometimes it doesn't matter what it is either. Like sometimes like it can just be like, oh, I've really got to reorganize my bookshelf. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me I take mean, all it's... these books off and they're going to be organized in alphabetical order. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would say that um, this journey that I'm going on with woodworking is kind of, I mean, it, it just is rooted in, oh, I like sitting down and stripping all the bark off of a, a chunk of wood and making it nice and smooth. Because just that kind of um, accomplishment of a certain surface quality, that tactile, smooth, just, you know, hard wood gliding your hand over it is so satisfying that it doesn't really need to ever become a finished piece, so to speak. It just it can be the process of doing it. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's that's the, the joy of being an artist, you know.
Yeah. Is, is being able to, to call these, these processes and these, you know, things that we need for fulfillment, you know, a job and work. It's just like, it just comes, it, you know, being an artist is almost a natural thing and, you know, and it's, and it's within, you know, everybody, it's, it's just more pronounced in, in others. Yeah. It's, it's, how do you, I think, how do you get out of your own way? Um, because if you're sitting down with the expectation, like you're placing a burden on yourself to make something good, to make something that you can show and get accolades for and uh, make something that someone would want to purchase. I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on oneself when you're just trying to be creative. Yeah, it definitely can be stressful. <laughs> and it, and it kind of takes away the, the natural childlike joy of the creative process itself. Yeah, finding that balance mm-hmm. of being able to to create and you know produce. Yeah, and so I think that is where I find a lot of fulfillment in my role as um, working for an art gallery, because I I serve a vital function for all the artists in our roster, all the the creative people that we represent. I'm able to help them continue to create. And uh, I just, I get a a lot of satisfaction from that. Mm -hmm. So um, you mentioned Art Basel uh, earlier. Are there any other big art festivals like that, that you, uh, that you go to? Uh, Yeah. So let's see if everything was normal, I would be in San Francisco right now. Um, at the Fort Mason Center for the Art Market San Francisco Art Fair. Um, there's that one. And then there's uh, the Navy Pier Chicago Art Fairs that occur in October and no- November. Um, and then <laughs> I had an experience last year. Um, we participated in an art fair in the Hamptons in New York. And so we drove um, in a Sprinter van with all our artwork loaded in the in the van. We drove from St. Louis to the Hamptons, and <laughs> that was quite Dang. a trek. Yeah. And <clears throat> what was that again? What's that? It was a trek. No, I mean, like, what were you going to the Hamptons for? What was? Oh, it, it was for an art fair. Is that a, a big specific one, or was it just one that you guys had? It was it was just one that was uh, happening that uh, the organizers of another fair that we participated in for a number of years was doing. Um, yeah, the art fair seems really really fascinating because um, there's so many fairs now, and and so yeah. but the the main one obviously being um, you know Basel in uh, in Miami as well as uh, some of the LA fairs and. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of its own animal in the art world. Uh, these fairs because they're they're just so they're just so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean we always go to the uh, the one over in Clayton. That's a that seems to be a pretty decent sized one here in St. Louis. Yeah, have you ever been to um, like a, a like a big big one that takes over a whole convention space? No, no, I haven't. It, it's it's overwhelming. I mean, you um, you walk in 
And if you spent, you know, on average, I would say most art fairs, if you spent like a good solid five hours, you might, you might see everything. (laughs) (laughs) And so it kind of becomes, you know, uh, how much can your eyes handle? And, you know, it, you get you get fatigued by just you're you're taking in so much and you're you're looking at so many different pieces of work and I think that there's kind of um like a psychic overload that occurs because you have all these hours of creativity that individual artists or teams of artists have spent working on a piece and I think that that comes out and so you know when you're looking at the work and so when you're literally surrounded on all sides by work of that caliber i think it can kind of affect people physically yeah like i mean and how are you supposed to like i mean for somebody that's there to to purchase work or to to scope out things like how does your judgment affect it in that sense like what's good what's bad you know right right there's a lot of work that is made with the intention of uh, grabbing people's attention. And so certain things tend to stand out and you can kind of tell what was made with the intention of standing out. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's an interesting game that's played because some people are very, very good at it. (laughs) Making things very big and impressive and- Oh yeah, yeah, I've I've seen- (laughs) Hyper-realistic. I've seen probably um, every single sort of novelty size, something or other, as an art sculpture that you could think of. Nice. Have you, have you ever seen a life-size Gundam? <laughs> oh, man, I wish. See, there needs to be more of that. Right? <laughs> there needs to be more. I think that that's where the art world's lacking is there, there's uh, too few life-size mech sculptures. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> They're, they're all the all the giant sculptures are like the Oldenburgs. They just sit there. <laughs> or um, Jeff Koons balloon dogs. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So um, what else uh, do we need to know? Uh, do we need to know about you? We need to what do, what do you like to do in your spare time, Ethan? Oh, man. I mean, most of my spare time is creating. Um, but aside from that, I, you know, I, I do a lot of cooking. I little, I listen to a lot of music. Um, I'm, uh, starved for board games. I, <laughs> before the quarantine, uh, me and my friends would get together weekly to play board games for, you know, sometimes seven, eight hours in one go. And so I'm, I'm having board game withdrawals. Uh, are you a D and D player? Not D&D specifically, uh, but I do enjoy a good role-playing game session. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, it it's just another way to tap into the imagination, to tap into creativity. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, nature walks, um, kind of anything that's, that's grounding, um, becomes kind of an aspect of the creative process. I mean, you know, I'm very capable of sitting on my couch and playing video games for, you know, however many hours. And I do enjoy doing that. Um, 
But the things that give me the most satisfaction, the things that I would call my hobbies and my interests, all kind of uh, relate to the creative process in one form or another. So, you know, with cooking, um, I, I find myself kind of making decisions with seasoning or, uh, you know, what temperature to use, how much of an ingredient to put in. I approach it the same way as, you know, where to place the next mark on the painting, which color to use. It's all very kind of gut instinct mm -hmm. and um, kind of uh, somewhat stream of consciousness. You know, I've got a vague kind of, this is where I want to go. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's just the process of finding yourself at the destination that is really interesting to me. Um, with the paintings, um, the the use of color is kind of an interesting aspect for me because uh, I'm colorblind. And so I don't have the best grasp of what it is I'm actually doing that, in terms of so like uh, amazing when I when I find creatives that are that are colorblind it's just like <laughs> that like especially uh printers that are colorblind I have yeah. a, a printer that I work with that and he's colorblind so when I'm trying to do color corrections and stuff with him he's just like I I don't know <laughs> <laughs> he's like I'll just like, you're gonna have to come, yeah, yeah you're just gonna have to come here and take care of this <laughs> yeah I mean it's uh Yellow and orange look the same. Uh, red and orange look the same. Uh, green and red, red and brown, uh, blue and green, uh, blue and purple. Uh, so whenever I'm, and it took me a long time to develop a trustworthy sense of what I was doing. I mean, I would say that I spent art school figuring out what I enjoyed doing and then the, the next several years after leaving school was trying to kind of gain some amount of proficiency at it. And it I would say it's not been up until the last couple of years that I've produced work that I actually feel good about because mm -hmm. you're developing your intuition and not only your your intuition, but your technical abilities. And so you need that, you know, they say that mastery is something you've practiced for 10,000 hours, I think. And every time you sit down or are engaging with the creative process, you're kind of logging hours, so to speak, and developing um, enough knowledge about what you're doing to where you can trust your decision making, even if it feels like it's like uh, I have no, <laughs> I have no clue where I'm going with this, but I just trust that I'll find myself you know, I'll get there one way or another. And so for me, color has been kind of that that vehicle of really developing my intuition. And then I find myself, again, kind of approaching other things as I do uh, painting with my color selection. Because if you ask me, why'd you grab red instead of purple? I would just look at you and say, because I felt like it, you know, not just not to sound flippant, but it's just, it's truly, it's all feel, it's all gut feeling. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. Yeah. I was arguing with my girlfriend this morning about the color of this towel. <laughs> it was clearly yellow <laughs> and she kept calling, it, kept calling it green. And I was like, uh-uh, nope, I'm not having it. That is a yellow towel. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's fun to have conversations with people about the work 
because he'll make certain observations um, that I I think I think that is probably one of my favorite areas about discussing artwork is finding out what this person's unique perspective on it is because you know there's certain things that are always valid and relevant when discussing any artist's work um you know where they studied who they were influenced by what their process is but you're always going to have that that unique perspective that each individual person has that is oftentimes more interesting than the kind of nuts and bolts information. Mm -hmm. So I really like talking to people about the paintings um, because it's often that what they're looking at it as is far more interesting than what I thought about it while making it. Mm -hmm. So what, have, uh, what are your plans um, for Dwayne Reed Gallery here in the near future? What are you guys um, planning on doing to kind of uh, get over, get through the, uh, the lockdown? Are you just kind of riding it until hopefully everything can open back up? Or are you planning to? Uh... Yeah, I mean, that's that's the that's really the path. And it's really nothing that is too complicated really because that's it you just you have to see it through you have to ride this wave and even though it's um it's we've never been in a situation like this before and i you know it's one that especially the art world could have never couldn't have ever prepared for fully you just have to take it one day at a time put one foot in front of the other i mean we've got a fantastic roster of artists and very talented people um, and we've been in communications with them for the plans for the near future and far future and just, you know, making the adjustments that are necessary to continue to promote their work. And even without doing formal openings, we just uh, opened a new exhibition a couple weeks ago, a really great group ceramics exhibition that we had a, a digital opening for and promoted it like any other show, even though there, we didn't have that, you know, Friday night, 5 to 8 p.m. opening with complimentary wine. Um, so I think there's a number of things that, that can be done to kind of create a sense of normalcy, even though, um, you know, our doors are locked, no one can come in. Um, we're still able to kind of continue on with what we had been doing with some, you know, some adjustments and yeah. So it's just kind of continuing on with that and, and, um, you know, putting our best foot forward every day. Who are uh, your artists that you've got in there right now? Um, we've got a local artist, uh, Lindsay Pachaski. Uh, she's actually curated this exhibition. Uh, there was a, a big ceramics conference that was supposed to happen in Richmond. Um, it's the NSICA conference that happens every year and they change um, cities each time. Uh, the I got to go attend the NSICA conference in 2016 whenever it was hosted in Kansas City. And that was a wonderful experience. Um, you know, how, it was. How, just, do you, how do you spell that? Uh, it's an acronym. I forget what it stands for, but it's okay. N-C-E-C-A. -N um, it's a, so any, anytime 
that um, there's a new edition of the conference. People come in from all over the country and, and a lot of international travelers too. And I would say out of like specific disciplines of art making in terms of the community that surrounds it, the ceramics community is really strong and really cohesive. And so um, one of our local ceramic artists uh, curated an exhibition uh, for the gallery that was also meant to travel to Richmond for that conference. Obviously that wasn't able to occur. And so we were able to kind of fall back on the plan of hosting it at the gallery anyways. So we've got um, Lindsay, who's local. We have Rain Harris out of Kansas City. Um, and then we have three other artists who I don't remember where they're based in right off the top of my head, but we have uh, Janice Jakielski, uh, Jess Reva Cooper, and Bean Finneran. And um, it's, you know, one of the things that's made getting through this time easier is being around other artists' work. It's, it's very therapeutic to be able to handle art objects and install a show. It's just, it's calming, it's centering, and um, it's something that I'm really blessed to have in my life. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing, uh, amazing job to have. And you've been there since 2015, you said? Yeah. So almost five years. Yeah, that's, that's great. And, and to be here in, in St. Louis too, I think is, is a wonderful thing as well. Yeah, because, um, you know, I think that the Midwest has, I, I want to say it has a, a tighter artistic community than say like Chelsea in New York, mm -hmm. um, because I, there's not as many galleries. And I think because of that, it kind of puts an emphasis on what each individual venue is doing and, you know, like the, the museums included. So what, what Cam's doing and what the St. Louis Art Museum is doing, there's a little bit more emphasis because there's less total going on in the immediate sense in terms of geography. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, and that's uh, that's why I'm I'm here too. You know, I, I want to try to promote that that tightness of of the Midwest. You know, represented here in 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 the uh, in the pages in the podcast of Exist Magazine. Yeah, it's yeah, it's I think it's really exciting what you're doing. And uh, I think it, it gives people a greater resource for knowing, um, you know, who the players are, what's happening. And uh, yeah, I think just building an overall uh, broader sense of community is really crucial to any sort of arts community. Definitely. Definitely. So would you um, have anybody uh, or any shout outs uh, that you want to give? Obviously, Dwayne Reed Gallery. Gallery. Can you tell us uh, where we can find that online? Yeah. Uh, on Instagram at Reed Gallery, uh, DwayneReedGallery.com. And even though the gallery is closed right now, uh, the physical address is 4729 McPherson Avenue in the Central West End. Nice. And then a uh, shout out to yourself. Didn't you want to <laughs> tell people where they can find your work? Yeah. So uh, my Instagram is void underscore Walker 666. 
Um, and I do not have a fully fleshed out website that's to uh, come in the future, but anyone who's interested in what I'm doing can follow me on Instagram. Yeah. Send me a DM if you have any questions. I love talking to new people. Yeah, that's awesome. It's what, where's the, the void walker? What is, where does that come from? <laughs> uh, to be completely honest, I listen to a lot of metal music. Nice. Yeah. What's, your favorite, <laughs> what's your favorite metal band? Oh, man. Uh, I would say probably Gorgoroth, uh, Norwegian black metal. Gorgoroth. Oh, I've never heard of them. You'll, you'll have to check them out. Definitely. Awesome, man. All right, Ethan, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and talking to us. And uh, stick around for just a second, and I'll, I'll do a proper goodbye with you. But I'll go ahead and end the podcast here. Thanks for everybody uh, for listening uh, again. And uh, we'll hear from you soon and hopefully have another episode out here uh, next week. So stay tuned and uh, come by again. Thanks. Bye.